Today we're going to be in Isaiah 26. I'm really excited about this chapter of the Bible. And you'll notice as we go through these prophetic chapters that uh, we often talk about the millennial kingdom. We, we talk about the tribulation period, which are the two things that we'll be covering tonight. And if you don't know what those are, the millennial kingdom or the tribulation period, uh, ask one of us afterwards, and we want to be able to make sure that all these things are clear to you. But in verses 1 through 19, uh, we're going to have uh, certain aspects of the millennial kingdom. And then in verses 20 through 21, there's going to be a brief mention of events there uh, regarding the tribulation period. And so it has to do with events in the future. It has to do with Bible prophecy and I just, every time we talk about Bible prophecy, I think it's important to remind ourselves that the intention is not just to know the future for the sake of knowledge, that the real reason God shows us and makes clear to us our final victory in that day is to strengthen us today. You know, because whatever we go through in life, I think it's helpful to know that we win in the end. I remember my, my brother-in-law, he taught me that lesson. One day I was talking to him, how are you doing, Larry? And he said, I'm in between illnesses. You know, because we get sick, then we get better. Then we get sick, then we get better. We go through a trial, then we come out of the trial. But then there's a trial in front of that. It'll always be that way. There's going to be the ups and downs of life. That's the way it's going to be until one day we're home in heaven. And that's why it's good to know the future of uh, that day so that it will help us today when we go through the difficulties. You know, on that day, we will sing. Uh, we're probably going to have better voices. I know we're going to have better hearts. And so we see it throughout Scripture. I remember Revelation chapter 5, and, you know, they're all singing there in front of the Lamb. But we're going to see it today even as Isaiah presents this prophetic song that will be sung on that day when we're there in the millennial kingdom. And so we're going to see Isaiah 26. It's a, it's a chapter uh, regarding the song. It's a music uh, with a message. And so look at verse 1, Isaiah 26. It says, In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and, and bulwarks or defenses. You know, in that day, we're going to be there singing. When King Jesus reigns in the millennium, uh, they in the land of Judah will sing this song, how we have this strong city and we're surrounded in this strong city by these walls of salvation, protected by none other than God himself. And so you're asking, well, what city? Well, it's in reference to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. And so he says there in verse 2, open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. And so some say this righteous nation is in reference to Israel only, um, but it probably means more than that. For what we find, you guys, is that the saved survivors of the tribulation period will be the ones to enter into the millennial kingdom and repopulate the earth for a thousand years. And so if you can visualize, again, the tribulation period comes to an end and uh, the saved survivors, the gates open and they enter into the millennial reign, the thousand year period where Jesus is ruling. And so it's going to be a glorious day 
And on our prayer then is that the hope of that day, Isaiah's writing to these guys, he's writing to the Jews who are going to go through so much, would help them in their difficult days. You know, and I'm learning that as I get older, huh? I mean, car accidents. I mean, you know, Henry, his car got, you know, the window got bashed in today, things like that. I'm like, man, this crazy world that we live in, the trials that we go through. And, and Isaiah's writing to the Jews who will experience tremendous trials in life as a nation and throughout the ages. You guys know the history of the Jews. And so he's writing to encourage them, and I believe us in the process, to keep our eyes on the coming king and to keep our eyes on the coming kingdom. And that's where we get to verse 3. As we're going through the Bible, we come now to this verse. It says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. And if it's okay, I want to read that again. And I want you guys to really, really take this one in. Notice again, he says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord for how long? Forever. For in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. And this is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. It's a beautiful passage reminding us to stay focused on the Lord. You know, just stay there. Don't stray away from there. Because if we keep our mind where it belongs, there, focused on the Lord, then we, the promise is that he will keep us in perfect peace. And I know that we all long for that. We all struggle, you know, with things. And, you know, it's kind of a drag, you know, when you don't have that peace. You know, we, as we go through life, yes, we're going to glance at other things when necessary. But for the most part, we are to gaze upon God. And that's a beautiful promise. You know, I'm reminded of the scripture in Hebrews 12, verse 2, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, the, the writer to Hebrews, literally in the Greek language, it says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. And he writes in this context that we would look at Jesus and we would look at his cross. And so when you look at the cross of Jesus, when you fix your eyes on the cross of Jesus, like what do you see? You know, hopefully you see forgiveness. Hopefully you see that blood shed on Calvary washes away our sins because we need that. We fail in many ways. And so hopefully that's one of the things that we see when we look at the cross. Another thing I think that we see is the love of God in that God would give his son. He loves me that much. And so, you know, as we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, I think that we have to see the cross, but we also have to see the crown. That's really the context of what Isaiah is speaking about, you know, that we are to keep our mind on him. And he's talking about the context of the coming kingdom, of the coming Christ, you know. And when we have that understanding, think about it. When Jesus reigns in Jerusalem for a thousand years and then after that forever and ever, 
He is going to bring this perfect peace, this permanent peace. That's forever. And so when I go through the things and when we go through the things that we will experience here on planet Earth, and we don't know what tomorrow holds, that right there is an anchor for our soul. You know, I've told you guys a million times that if you focus on yourself, you're going to be depressed. And if you're focused on the world, and some people are, they watch the news all day long, they're all into that stuff, you're going to be distressed. But if you focus on the Lord, then you're going to be blessed. And the promise here is you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Our mind. Our mind is a battlefield, huh? How we get these thoughts that roll through. And I think the enemy, he launches his lies. The Bible talks about it, how they're fiery darts. And they go into our mind. We need to make sure that we bring every thought into captivity. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. And so, you know, you get those thoughts. Um, Be careful. Uh, I've told you guys this as well, that, you know, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head but you can keep it from making a nest. And so when those thoughts come through, you test them according to Scripture, and you make sure you bring every thought into captivity. We need to be responsible with those things because the Bible says that you will keep him, you will keep her in perfect peace if their mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. Now, and all that is is rooted in trust. It, It really is. We need to trust him for all things. We need to trust him forever. For in him, right here we read, is everlasting strength. And so what exactly is everlasting strength? I think it can be illustrated in a conversation uh, between a young man and his father in which the young man asked his dad, who was a solid believer, he said, Dad, do you think there's life on other planets? And his dad said, no, I don't think so. I believe Earth is a privileged planet. And his son said, come on, Dad. There are billions of galaxies, and there are billions of stars within each one of those billions of galaxies. I can't even begin to imagine the number of planets out there. If there's not life anywhere else in the universe, why would God go through all the trouble of making it? To which the father replied, trouble. It was no trouble for God. He simply spoke it all into existence by the power of his word. And that's why we can trust him because in Yah, in the Lord, is this everlasting strength. And it's important for us to stay focused. You see, there's no mountain too big. There's no problem he can't handle. There's no need really to worry because we have this everlasting, omnipotent strength who made the world. He will fix the world, and one day he will rule the world. And this is what Isaiah is saying. As a matter of fact, remember what Jesus said in John 16, 33? He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. 
And I like that because there the Lord even takes it up a notch, not just a perfect peace. I want you to have joy for the journey. Be of good cheer because one day we'll be home. And so the Lord here cranks it up a level and he wants us to have this this peace and this joy because, you know, it's this plan that he has to bring forth justice. Notice what we read in, in verse 5. It says, For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The, the foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. Now, all the, the loud and proud, every single one of them will be dealt with. You know, all the evildoers, all the non unrepentant, you know, murderers, and you name it, all the sins, God will destroy. God will destroy the religious and commercial Babylon and all those lofty cities of our enemies. What we find in this is that his victory is ultimately our victory. Notice again what we read in verse 5. He brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. But then he says something interesting in verse 6. The foot shall tread it down, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. And that's interesting what he says there in verse 6. It speaks of the poor and oppressed, basically in reference to those who have suffered wrong in their life. You know, and they've been wronged by their enemies. And he mentions the poor and needy, that they're going to walk all over their enemies. They're actually going to trample them underfoot. What's he saying? Well, I think when we look at the scriptures, it's important for us to know when these truths sink in, we begin to discover who we really are in Christ and what we can actually do as his disciples even today in certain ways. You know, the footwork of this prophecy reminds me of what Jesus did and what Peter did when the enemy stormed in and the devil tried to drown the disciples. You guys might remember what happened in the Sea of Galilee when Jesus showed his glory by walking on the water and Peter did the same, remember? But only momentarily. Why? Well, some of you guys know the story um, let me ask you a question. How long was Peter able to walk on water? How long was he able to trample down the enemies under his foot? How long was he able to do that? As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. The moment he took his eyes off the Lord, everything changed. You know, when you read the story, it's an awesome story written in the Gospels. The storm was threatening to sink them and they were straining and rowing. It was the middle of the night. They'd been doing it all night and Jesus comes in the wee hours of the morning and he's just walking on the water. And they were afraid. You know, they thought he was a ghost. And he said, don't be afraid. It's, it's I, it's, it's me. And so Peter, when he saw that, he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, here it is, when he saw the wind that was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. 
And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, he, he was afraid and, and he was filled with that fear and doubted when he took his eyes off of the Lord and focused on the effects of the wind and the waves and the wild storm. You know, the word boisterous, it can be translated rowdy. And he took his eyes off God. You know, yeah, the wind is strong, of course. But why would you focus on the strength of the wind when you have the one who invented the wind on your side? We have to do our best. I have to do my best to stay focused because it'll happen then, but even now, I do believe with all my heart that we can triumph and trample down over our enemies. We have the Lord with us, and he wants to give us joy for the journey. We have to do our best to stay focused. Look at verse 7. It says, The way of the just is uprightness. O most upright, that's in reference to God, you weigh the path of the just. Or you smooth out the road ahead of us is probably what that means there in the Hebrew. Ahead of who? Ahead of the just. Ahead of those who are saved. Those who are right in God's sight. We get right through Christ by faith in him. And what we see verse 7 teaches us is that it really, I mean, there's some things we can't avoid. You know, there's some things that we just can't stop. And, and God in his sovereign love and providence, you know, we're going to experience those things. But there are other things that we can avoid. And what we find right here is God is teaching us that that's available to us. You know, life doesn't have to be sometimes as bad as we make it as long as we stay focused on the Lord. You know, whenever I'm, I'm traveling on the 10 freeway, I don't know if you guys ever do this, um, you know, like you're, you know what, it could be the 10, it could be any street, you know, and you're like, man, that, that lane right there has a bunch of potholes, or that lane right there, if I, if, I, if I drive on that lane, it's just bumpy really bad. And so when I'm on the 10 freeway, I always go over to the fast lane, number one, because I'm usually late and I have to go fast. But, but number two, primary reason is because the other lanes, especially the third lane, has a bunch, a bunch of bumpers, bumps. <laughs> that that you know basically i gotta kind of shift lanes i gotta change lanes and so you know again you're looking at isaiah and he's talking to the jews and he's telling them you're going to go through difficult times but eventually the king will come the kingdom will come there'll be this perfect peace and then after that permanent we're going to be home in heaven and so it's a blessing to think that one day we'll be there but along the way there's still an opportunity for peace. There's still those joys that we can have in the journey. But sometimes we've got to switch lanes. We have to make sure that we're in the right lane. Again, I'm not saying it's always going to be smooth sailing, but there are those times where we can avoid unnecessary heartaches. As we seek the Lord, He has this path for our life. It's really rooted in Him. It really is rooted in Him. Because look what we read in verse 8. It says, yes, in, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for who? For you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. 
With my soul, I have desired you. In the night, yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. You know, it's so cool to know that it, it really is this personal relationship that we have with God and we can actually seek him. You know, by things according to God's judgments, that's what we read there in verse 8. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. According to God's word, we want to live a life of obedience and waiting on him. I'm pretty sure as Isaiah is writing this to the Jews, he wanted them to wait, and God wants us to wait, to wait on the Lord, to don't quit keeping his commandments, don't leave, don't split from him, don't stop believing in him, desire his name, remember him night and day through the good times and the bad times. Let's constantly, early, eagerly seek him. You know, we have to wait on the Lord. Now, that's one of the struggles that we have, I think, is I know for me, I, I just, we can get very, very impatient. You know, we're in line at, you know, in and out and spend 10 minutes or something. You know, so uh, we have that microwave mentality. What if Joseph, you guys know the story of Joseph and how God used him to save the world, really, in those days. But what if he gave up after 12 years and took his eyes off the Lord and focused on his horrible circumstances. And he said, here I am in prison and my dreams are dead. I'm done. What if, he, what if he didn't wait on the Lord? He may have forfeited God's plan for his life if he refused to wait. And I think of Pastor Chuck Smith waiting 17 years and then God blessed. Or Abraham waiting 25 years. Isaac got married at the age of 40. My brother-in-law got married at the age of 50, and I'm glad that he waited. Israel would have to wait 70 years in Babylon, and then we've been waiting for Jesus for how long? 2,000 years. Some might say, well, it's been too long. No, we've got to wait. We have to wait on the Lord. You know, we look forward to what we read here. Look again at, at verse 9. He says, with my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. And that's why I encourage you guys, you know, morning, night, man, to seek the Lord. But notice what he says right here. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And, and so he's talking about the time when Jesus is going to be ruling in the kingdom, when his judgments are there. Uh, people will be able to learn what life is like under the leadership of Jesus. When King Jesus' judgments are practiced on this planet, the world will have the opportunity to see it firsthand, to experience it, and to learn about his love. And some will learn. They, some will, but not everybody. You guys know that, right? As you study the whole you know, unfolding of the millennial kingdom, you know, not everybody's going to learn. Look look what we read next in verse 10. It says, Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of people 
Yes, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. Now imagine what it will be like. You know, we want to elect good leaders, obviously. And I, I man, I, I don't know. You know, I don't want to get too much into politics, but crazy how everything's going up in price right now and just all the things that are happening. And, you know, we definitely need different leadership, you know. But I don't know if there's any man that we can actually look to in any way to help us. Um, I think only Jesus is going to be able to bring this that we need, you know. And so imagine what it'll be like, though, when Jesus is like the king of the world. Imagine that, how awesome it'll be. And the Bible says that we will rule with him and we'll rule with a rod of iron. And basically it means if anybody doesn't abide by the laws of the Lord, then they will be dealt with swiftly. And they'll still have a free uh, freedom uh, to be able to do what they want according to their free will. But um, what we find is that even under this uh, millennial kingdom, and during the millennial kingdom, by the way, um, things are going to be different in nature and the animals, and we'll be able to play with snakes. And it's just going to be an amazing time. It's transformed, not perfect, but very, very, very awesome. But even in that setting, we see that not everybody uh, turns. During the millennial kingdom, um, many, if not most, still won't turn to the Lord. Grace won't change them. They only abuse it. And even God's heavy hand won't change them. They just keep doing wrong. They don't look to the majesty. That's what it says right there. Even his warning and chastening don't change them. You know, what, what really changes a person, you guys? What really changes the person? To me, again, you know, I think that the transformation happens through love. I really do. You know, it's a fear of God or maybe the fear of our parents and sometimes, you know, modify our behavior. And, you know, you're going to get the trancaso if you step out of line, right? But as far as really changing us from the inside out, it is the love of God. That's what changes us. And what we find is that these people during the millennial kingdom, they're not going to pay attention. That the NLT puts it this way. Oh, Lord, they pay no attention to your upraised fist. Show them your eagerness to defend your people. Then they will be ashamed that your fire consume your enemies. And that's what will happen during the millennial kingdom and, and tragically at the end of that kingdom too, not just during it. What we find is that a favorable environment is not enough. There has to be a change of heart. You know, every once in a while you see some really good parents and, you know, they just give their kids everything. They, they love on them. You know, they're fair. Uh, they provide for them. And uh, for whatever reason, sometimes we see these kids, they, they don't care, you know, and they go and they do their own thing. And the same is true under God. You know, this God that we have who made us and redeems us, who loves us and is willing to wash away our sins and give us this beautiful life. But we have to all make that choice. And during the millennial kingdom, even then, Isaiah tells us that some won't turn. And so uh, judgment for them, peace for us. Look at verse 12. It says, Lord, you will establish peace for us. For you have also done all our works in us. O Lord our God, 
Masters besides you have had dominion over us, but by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead. They will not live. They are deceased. They will not rise. Therefore you have punished and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. You have increased the nation, O Lord. You have increased the nation. You are glorified. You have expanded all the borders of the land. And this is what we, what we look forward to. You know, Isaiah is writing again to the Jews who will experience so much heartache, but he's telling them, hey, you guys, um, you need to know this. Let me share this with you. This is God's word. One day we're going to be singing this song about how God has done this work. One day, um, not a moment of peace, not a season of peace, but an establishment of permanent peace. One day we will have that. How is that possible, you ask? Let's look again in verse 12. Lord, you will establish peace for us, for you have also done all our works in us. It's possible because he's the one who does it. You know, he's the one that works in us. He's the one that will work through us. You know, again, you have to keep it in context. When Isaiah's writing to the Jews, and you got to consider, if you guys read through the Bible, you know, the history of the Jews. And uh, really, the concept of the culture back then was that, you know, the God of Syria or the God of Assyria or the God of the Philistines or the God of Babylon or whatever it might be, that if that nation, you know, won the victory over Israel or whoever it might be, their mentality was, well, then that's the God, you know, that we have to serve, the God who gave that nation the victory, right? And so that was their mentality. And so Isaiah here is saying, so in the end, when Israel, when Israel is, is the nation that is exalted and there is King Jesus ruling from Jerusalem, all those other nations are judged and all those other gods disappear. And what we find is the Bible is true, that it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob pointing to Jesus. This God of Israel is really the true God. And that's what he's sharing right here. He's a living God. He's the only God. You know, today we look forward, but one day we'll even be able to look back and see all this, what Isaiah is saying. You know, Israel, one day. And that's why, you know, we love Israel. Of course, we love everybody. You guys know that, right? We, we love Arabs. Uh, we love um, everyone. But we just know that God has chosen Israel to be assigned to the world. And that's why it's kind of cool when we as Christians get to go over there and just uh, support, you know, this nation that we know one day God will save and God will rule from that place and so i never forget the first time i saw jerusalem you know um just the bus you know going over the hill and you know you've seen the pictures of it you know all all these years and then one day you see it in person and there's just something special about this place and so we see here isaiah is saying that this is real it's the god uh, of israel now does that mean it was easy for them no you guys know a little bit about Israel, huh? You know about the Holocaust. 
You know what they went through when the Romans judged them and 1.2 million Jews died? You know that. We've, they have gone through so much. And that's not easy for them. And I'm here to tell you that it won't be easy for us. You know, there are some people out there that they say, well, if you're a Christian, then you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and everything is going to be perfect, and you're going to have everything go just the way you want to. They're liars. You know, <laughs> Jesus said it's, it's going to be hard. People are going to hate you. Jesus said if anyone wants to come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let me give you the terms of discipleship up front. It won't be an easy life. And for some, I have to, I, as I was talking to the Lord today, I said, Lord, you know, for some, I think it's even harder. And that's why we have this hope. We have to fix our eyes on Jesus and see his cross and see his crown and knowing the king is coming, knowing one day the kingdom is coming, not just for a passing peace or a season of peace, but to establish this permanent peace. And so we're on our way to that place, you guys. We're on this way to heaven. And one of the things that God has gripped my heart with is I want to help as many people as I can to go there. You know, it's not easy. Look what, they, they, what, he, what he writes in verse 16. Lord, in, in trouble they have visited you or, or searched for you. They poured out a prayer when you're chastening was upon them as a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs when she draws near the time of her delivery. So we have been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Here Isaiah talks about many, many years of excruciating pain. And he's just being honest about what Israel has experienced. Um, some of you ladies right here, you know, you gave birth, and I would imagine it hurt, you know. Um, this is this, that, that, the description of that, probably the most excruciating pain without the epidural, think about it. And they're just there, and during the pain, um, they're praying. And it's interesting what he says right there, and, 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 and to make matters worse, because at least a woman who's going through the pain is able to give birth to a child. He says they're going through the pain, and it's as if they're giving birth, but nothing but the wind comes out. It's like it's, like, it's not helping, that nothing's happening. This seems like the pain doesn't have a purpose. And he's sharing what's going on in Israel and what they will experience. You know, they, they, they can't seem to shake their enemies. Notice again in verse 18, we have been with child, we have been in pain, we have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. And what's he saying right there? He's saying this thing that I, that I think, I don't know if I'm able to articulate it properly, but, you know, this is not our home. We're fish out of water. I mean, I love life. Don't get me wrong. I think that we get those glimpses of heaven, man, and we get, 
you know, the good food and the good music and, and we get to love and just different things that happen in life. They're, they're good. But, but then, you know, the pain, then the tragedy, then, you know, you're asking God, wait a minute, time out, Lord. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Why is this happening to me? And, and all, I think really the only solid answer to say in those days is that we're not home yet. We're not home yet. And I can tell you, oh, this is going to get better, not to sound morbid or anything, but then something else comes. And then that gets better, and then something else comes. And then, you know, you get COVID, and then you get really sick, and then, you know, thank God you get better. And then after that, you get better, you get cancer. And then that, praise God, maybe you go through the whole radiation and chemo, and you get better, but then... You know, something else happens. I was reading about a basketball player. He recently was riding a bike and he got an accident of some sort. And now he's paralyzed. I mean, and, and you know, you're looking at stuff that happens. This is real stuff that happens in life. And, and so how do you minister to them? What can I say to them? Well, all I can say is that, you know what? The Lord will bring good through all the pain, but understand we are not home yet. And the sufferings that we experience, the Bible says, on planet Earth, will not be even able to be compared to the glory that we will receive one day. And what we find right here is God is sharing something that um, you know we're just going to have to come to grips with. We have not accomplished any deliverance in the Earth, um, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. We live in this world, and they're still there. But we rise. Even, you know, how many of you guys, it would be cool if the Lord raptured us, huh? We're like, hey, I don't have to, I don't have to face death, you know? But either we're going to fly or we're going to die. That's our future. You know, lately the Lord has really, really been ministering to me, you know? And we've seen our, our loved ones pass on um, a lot lately. And the Lord has just really been telling me, Manny, really make sure you're ready in every way, in every way. You know, get your house in order. Well, man, are you being morbid? Are you, you know, being negative? No, I'm just being real. And so, um, but I, I mean, I'm not afraid to die because I know that, that I'll rise, that I'll be taller in heaven. I know that. I'll have lots of hair and, just different things. Pizza will be good for me in heaven. I, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I, I look forward to it. I, I think Paul the Apostle, he said in Philippians chapter 1, um, I, I, I want to go home, you know, to be honest, because that's my home. That's what he says right here in verse 19. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. He says, but those who die in the Lord will live their bodies will rise again. Those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy. For your life-giving light will fall like dew on your people in the place of the dead. And, and, and what the Lord is saying right here is in reference to um, the fact that, you know, there will be the resurrection. You know, there, in the Bible, there's, there, there's really only two resurrections. There's the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the unrighteous. Now, the resurrection of the righteous actually takes place when the rapture of the church happens. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, 
it says that that's, you know, the dead in Christ will rise. This is what he's referring to. And then we who are alive will be caught up and will meet the Lord in the air. And it's at that point that we receive our permanent and glorified bodies that can inhabit the universe. You know, that can live in the presence of God. If we were in these bodies in the presence of God, we would disintegrate. But now um, with that new body um, that will last forever, I don't know for sure, but we'll probably be able to fly from, you know, galaxy to galaxy. And I, I know when Jesus was in his body, he was able to kind of like go through walls or appear there. I mean, this is kind of what we're, look, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so this is what he's talking about, how life after death for the righteous will include the glorified bodies. And this is the experience for all of us who participate in their first resurrection. Heaven and the millennial kingdom that we're talking about today is not just a destination. I I pray that it would excite you. I pray that it would be a motivation. I pray that it would be an inspiration. As a matter of fact, there's a really cool verse in the Bible that says that when we have this hope in us, it purifies us. Lord, I look forward to this day, and I know it's real. You know, one day we'll be there. And so you guys know that, right? What's ahead? We don't know for sure the day or the hour, but you know, um, it could be tomorrow or tonight. It could be a hundred years from now or longer. But the rapture of the church, seven-year tribulation period, and then the thousand-year reign of Christ, where we will reign with him with our glorified bodies, and then in heaven forever and ever and ever. And so when Isaiah is writing about this, he wants to encourage the Jews and us as we go through difficulties in life. And so he talks, first of all, verses 1 through 19, the millennial kingdom, a lot of cool things to help us through. And then in verses 20 and 21, he ends with the tribulation period. And so he says in verse 20, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And the earth also will disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. And so we see the things that are going on in in the world today. Uh, I was watching the news just for a a second today, and they're saying homicides are up, um, violent crimes are up. Um, We know um, there's so much craziness going on. I, I think of like ugly things like child pornography, uh, sexual slavery. I think of uh, just so many injustices that take place in the world that we live in. And, you know, there's a part of us that just wonders, Lord, how long will you allow the wrong to go on? And the Lord is saying, you know what? I, I'm i going to show up soon and I'm going to have to bring justice because of the nature of who he is. He's a holy, holy, holy God. And so he will bring justice to planet Earth. But for us, we're hidden. For us, we're safe because we've placed our faith in Christ. Now here, he's talking about how in the last three and a half years, the Jews would be saved in the uh, in the rock city of Petra. 
And so when you read the scriptures, Jesus told the Jews, he said, okay, during the tribulation period, uh, unfortunately, they're going to be friendly with the Antichrist. But three and a half years into it, according to 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 4, the Antichrist will go into the temple. He'll say that he's God. And it's at that point where Jesus says, you guys need to flee. And two-thirds of the Jews are going to be wiped out that are in that vicinity. One-third will escape. If you guys ever go again to Israel, and then maybe we can include a, a, a visit to Petra, you'll see this amazing place that, that was established uh, 2,000 years ago. It's about a mile long. It's about 10 to 20 feet wide regarding the entrance that goes into these towering cliffs reaching about 300 feet high. And once you enter in, then it has the capacity to hold uh, approximately 5 million people. And so God has already prepared it. He spoke about it in various places. For example, Zechariah 13 and verse 8 and Jeremiah 49, 13 through 14, you'll see identified there as Basra. And, and so the precept is that God has this place where he will protect his people. You can read it also in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 12, verse 6. But um, it, it's interesting to me, you know, there's the precept, but there's also the principle. And the principle is, come, and the Lord says, and hide yourself in me. And I was thinking about that. I was like, Lord... Um, hide ourselves in you. What, what's that? And of course we know it's by placing our faith in Jesus. But um, not just like, you know, a little casual type of thing. I mean, have you ever played hide and seek? Have you guys ever done that? Uh, it's been a while probably, huh? But don't you miss it? That was kind of cool when we were kids and we play hide and seek and and, you know, you, you really, I mean, if you really want to find a place to hide where, like, man, no one's, you know, going to find me. The enemy is not going to find me. What you find, and I think, and when I'm talking about my Christian life, is I'm just going to go deep in. I'm going to go deep. I'm going to hide myself in the Lord. I'm going to, you know, and the principles are so many. For example, in the first Corinthians, the Lord says, come out of the world. Come out of the world, lest you be judged with the world. Hide yourself in Christ. And as we do, the principle is that God, he will protect us. And so thank God for his justice. We know that God one day will make every wrong right. But thank God for his grace, huh, guys? That we can experience that through this relationship, you know, with the Lord.